You know, we are committed to what we promise, what we say. That seems strange, especially in a country that celebrates free speech. But the truth is, we have to be careful how we talk. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. Welcome to Bible Discovery as we discover the Word of God today through Numbers chapter 30. We're going to learn how important your words are. What you say, you got to be careful of that because we are responsible. As believers, we are to be responsible for what we say. It's going to be a good one. Corey? Well, Numbers chapter 28 talks about prescribed offerings. So certain offerings that had to be given at certain times. So we're going to be taking a look at general sacrifice today and going back over that. Ryan? Well, today we read about the destruction of the Midianites in Numbers 31. But the question is, how could they have been destroyed when they show up again in Judges chapter 6? That's a really good question. Okay, Janice? I want to talk today about special circumstances and vows. Numbers 30, 1 through 8. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord, and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her, because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband, while bound by her vows, or by a rash utterance from her lips, by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it, and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Numbers chapter 30 verses 1 through 8. Vows are, are really very important. And uh, you say, well, right. I mean, what is a vow? It's a promise or a, a keepsake, if you would, something that you say. We're going to talk about it in Numbers chapter 30 today. The Bible emphasizes taking personal responsibility for our words and our actions in today's reading. It's no different. We see that men and women were responsible to do what they vowed before God. God did make allowances for women who were stopped in fulfilling their vows by their patriarchal head. The structure of ancient Near Eastern society and of Israel was a patriarchal one. 
If a woman's patriarchal head came against her and prevented her vow, well, the woman was off the hook. It was her husband or her father breaking the vow, not her. What we see through men and women being held accountable for their words before God is that what we say matters. In the New Testament, this is echoed in James chapter 3, tells us about the kind of trouble our tongues can get us into when we begin to speak. No matter what our world tells us about speech or free speech, the Bible tells us that we are responsible for what we say and to whom we say it. God will hold us accountable. Accountable. I thought this was a free society. We're not accountable for anything. Well, that's what we like to think. But the reality is very different according to the Bible. That doesn't mean that God is not for free societies, but we need to take responsibility for how we talk and responsibility for what we do. Now take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we focus on the 30th chapter of the book of Numbers. This is interesting. And um, if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? You can write to us and get one or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV and get one there. Um, it's, it's a book that it guides you through this, the most important book of all the Bible. That's how we judge everything. We'll talk about that in a future program. But how do we determine what God's saying by his scripture? That's very important. And that's really important in today's so-called prophetical speaking. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to our hearts today about what we say and what we do in today's world. Help us as believers in Jesus Christ to know our responsibility in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, I, I want you to understand that if, as Christians or Christ followers, we are responsible for what we say and how we act because we're following Christ. Was Christ a responsible person? Actually, he was very, totally, perfectly. We're supposed to follow him. Very interesting, isn't it? Take a look at scripture. It says in verse 30, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Oh my goodness, all that proceeds, that's incredible. You see, we are committed to what we promise. Christians or Christ followers change to become more faithful to what they do and what they say. Probably the hardest thing in the world to do. We become responsible for what we say and what we do. I got to tell you that uh, that's not easy. And I've learned that the hard way and still learning. As we speak and as we say things, we have to be careful because the enemy takes our words. And unless they are driven by the Holy Spirit, which the enemy cannot touch, then we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. A lot of people today are propagating this and propagating that, but we need to keep that in mind. All right, let's go back to the scripture again. Verse three, this is interesting. 
Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement, which in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself and her father holds his peace, then all of her vows shall stand. And every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Now listen carefully. We should recognize that authority is a pattern God has set up. Authority is a pattern God has set up. Christians learn that they, their authority is defined by God and not their own feelings. Not our own feelings. Today we're taught, do what you feel. Act on your feel. And we've developed an entire culture based on that. But God said, no, I want you to pay attention to what you say and only say the things that the Holy Spirit, that my, my Holy Spirit gives you the utterance to say. Now, that's important, and we need to remember that because God speaks that. Now, this is the Old Testament, of course, and fortunately, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of God. And I know with me, I go to Jesus Christ and I say, oh, Lord, help me today because I speak a lot and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Now, they'll take it wrong, but Lord, I need to speak it right. And that's very, very important. We need to set our mind towards talking correctly. All right, let's go back to the scripture and learn more here. It says, if indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Which brings me to the third point. God blesses the family that takes his authority structure. The family that takes his authority structure. Christians or Christ followers know that the creator a family, we must live by God's commands. Did you get that? We must live by, by what God tells us because he's the one who created our families. He's the one who created families. And I need to tell you this, this is really important. Now, this isn't easy as somebody who is in a family, it becomes very difficult. And yet at the same time, I know that the Holy Spirit helps me. I, I cannot think of a more challenging aspect than to be a husband, to be a father, and to be a son. That's really important. It's like a woman being a wife, being a mother, and being a daughter. Three things. Isn't that interesting? Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us His way and show us His paths, especially today in Jesus' name. And we said together, Amen.
All right, so our assigned reading today was numbers 28 to 31. And when you get into it, you see numbers 28 and 29 both talk about the prescribed regular offerings that Israel was supposed to give. So you've got like the daily and the monthly and then the different feasts and, and festivals and celebrations going on and, and the different sacrifices with them. That made me think of, you know, the beginning of Leviticus and, and there's different categories of sacrifices that were offered. So I figured, let's go back over that. Take a look. In the ancient Near East, religious sacrifices were extremely common. They were offered to various deities and consisted of valuable consumable resources like animals, grain, drink, and oil, as well as culturally prized items like incense, clothing, jewelry, precious metals, and stones. When thinking of the Bible, most readers will likely associate religious sacrifices with the law of God recorded in Exodus through Deuteronomy. The law limited and legislated religious sacrifices for Israel at its inception as a nation. Before this time, however, the Bible clearly reflects what history also does, that religious devotion expressed in sacrifices and offerings was already widespread. The first biblical record of offerings to God comes from Genesis 4 and the tragic lives of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel brought offerings to God, but only Abel's was accepted. Cain's jealousy and anger ended in Abel's murder. This history shows that sacrifices were apparently always a part of the human experience, at least a part of it after the moral fall of Genesis 3. The story leaves the reader with many questions. Why were Cain and Abel giving sacrifices, and where was there a special place? What exactly made Cain's offering unacceptable? Regardless, Jewish tradition points to Moses as the author-compiler of Genesis, and as Moses was delivering the law of God, including regulations about sacrifices, perhaps one of the main points is that there have always been acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices. The Law of Moses then lays out an official record of what was appropriate as religious expression. There were five main offerings. The burnt offering was a way of calling on God and was accompanied by prayers. An acceptable animal would be killed, washed, and entirely burned up on the altar. The grain offering could be given alone, often accompanied burnt offerings, and could replace the animal of a burnt offering in the case of a poor worshiper. They were made either of raw, fine flour and oil or baked bread and cakes accompanied with incense. Grain offerings were partially burned on the altar and the rest was given to the priests. The fellowship or peace offering was essentially a meal shared by God and the worshipers, symbolically representing their covenant relationship. Certain portions were burned up to God with the worshiper and priests eating the rest of the animal. The sin offering was given to cleanse a person from sin or ritual impurity. It consisted of a specifically sacrificed animal, a portion of whom would be burned on the altar, and the rest of whom would be food for the priests. The purpose of the guilt offering was to make amends for mistreating any of the things of God or the people of Israel. The offerer had to reimburse for any stolen or damaged goods, and then they had to make an offering to God of an animal at the temple. 
I think it's always interesting and important to slow down when we're going through things that maybe we feel are repetitive. We've already kind of read about these things back in Exodus and, and Leviticus, and now we're here in Numbers. But it's always a good idea to kind of pull back and 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 go over the basics once again. So I hope that this was helpful to you in that way. One of the things to remember is that going over it again is、mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing. True, <laughs> because the people have gone through, you know, several years in the wilderness,、mm-hmm. and God understands that our minds fade. You know, all that stuff happens, and the new people need to hear this. Yeah, and so every. Generation, there's people that need to hear what God says. Absolutely, and I think even when we're going through the law section, you know, when we get into Judges and Kings, the time period of like the Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and and all of that, the author of the scripture is just going to assume that you know when things are going badly, but you're not always going to know unless you have this backdrop knowledge of the law and of their earlier history. So it is important to get in there. Yeah, and it's important to. <laughs> In the New Testament, yeah, when you read about the stories of Jesus Christ and the things He's done,、mm-hmm. what, what happens there? So that's very important, Ryan. All right. Well, today to go along with our reading, I'd like to talk about Chapter Thirty-One, which records the Israeli Midianite War in which Israel was victorious and killed all of their men. And some people get confused here because while we read about their destruction in today's passage, they do show up again later in Judges Chapter Six. As a matter of fact, God uses the Midianites as His tool to punish the Israelites for seven years because of their disobedience to Him. So, how could the Midianites be around if Israel had destroyed them many years earlier? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. Does the Bible contain errors and inconsistencies? Despite the fact that no such mistake has ever yet been proved to the satisfaction of a court of law, critics still insist that it is an error. For example, one common objection against the biblical record concerns the Midianites. That's because Numbers chapter 31 records the Israelites' victory and destruction of every male in the battle against Midian. But then later in Judges 6, they show up again, and this time as the victors. Indeed, because of Israel's willful rebellion against God, He delivered them into the Midianites' hands for seven years. So, if the Midianites were destroyed many years earlier in Numbers chapter 31, then how can they be present in the time of the Judges? As is so often the case, the answer to this apparent contradiction lies within the details and overall context of the passage. Pay close attention to the statement the Bible makes. Verses seven through eight read. And the Israelites warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. Also, they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. When read in context, with all details considered, it soon becomes quite obvious that in the battle Moses led against Midian, the Israelites killed every male Midianite that was present in the battle. Of course, this did not include the males who were not present in the battle. This is obvious from verse eight. Which adds that the kings were also slain, an unnecessary addendum. If Moses had intended to indicate in verse seven that all males in Midian, even those who did not go to battle, were killed, obviously those who fled before the battle took place were not around to be killed. The events of Judges six one through five took place many years later, at which point Midian had been repopulated. Thus, there is no error nor any contradiction. 
Okay, so understanding the context and paying attention to the details is critical when reading the Bible. And keep in mind that just as with the Midianites, we find the same exact solution with the Amalekites. See, both the Midianites and the Amalekites had earlier opposed Israel and had been defeated. By this time, though, both again had become strong enemies of Israel, and God allowed them to subjugate his people because of their disobedience. Okay, but a follow-up question to that would be, what about God's proclamation in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, that he would utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven? Well, this also did happen. Although the Amalekites continued in existence until well into the period of Israel's kings, eventually they vanished, so completely in fact, that none today can even be certain who they were. God is always true to his word, and it never ever comes back void. It's very important to recognize that oftentimes we see things based on our lifetime and our memory and all of that, but God sees things and presents things over the course of two or three generations. And so uh, a, uh, the Amalekites or whoever will die out. Mm-hmm. And God says what they will do. And it's like Israel. Now, tomorrow on the next program, we're going to talk about the land of Israel. And it's going to be very interesting uh, because they've been there for thousands of years. But nevertheless, um, God says, I'll bring Israel back. You know, Ezekiel 37. What's that about? You know, and they didn't see it for several hundred years. And so they preached a different doctrine. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's very interesting when we read the Bible carefully and look at it because it's not a novel. It's a it's our history. Yeah. And so we need to read it. Very good. Right. Okay, Janice. Okay. Well, I said special circumstances and vows. And this really, truly is an interesting uh, chapter, isn't it? The law concerning vows. And because we don't live in this culture, in a patriarchal society, uh, like they did here, sometimes as we're going through the Old Testament, a lot of times, and this is why, Corey, we really appreciate a lot of your work setting things in historical context, in cultural context, mm-hmm. so that we can understand where these scriptures are coming from, so that we can understand them rightly, not yeah. comparatively to where we are now, although they still do apply they do. to us. Now, looking at here, there's special considerations that were given, and I'm specifically speaking here to the the vows that women take. And we've we've heard it read. Rod's been teaching on it. So I want to give us a couple of examples of these special circumstances and vows in which women are made before God and that her husband would be involved or not be present when she made it. What am I talking about? Hannah's vow to God. Remember, she was childless and wanted a son so badly, wanted a child so badly. And she went into the temple and remember Eli the priest was watching her. Um, She was so distressed as she prayed to God, he thought she was drunk. And then she made a vow. This is 1 Samuel 1 verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now, God honored that prayer, and her husband also would have agreed to that, and she fulfilled that vow when her son 
was born, and when he was weaned, she brought him and gave him to Eli, who raised him in the temple. And we have Samuel. Another uh, example here is the mother of Samson. When we look at that, she was also uh, childless. She was barren. And we learn about Manoah, who is her husband. And um, the angel of the Lord comes to her. You can read about that in Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Manoah's wife was visited by the angel of the Lord, and he gave her instructions. And then she told her husband Manoah about it. And Manoah was, he was quite amazed. And he said, well, I, I would like to talk to this angel of the Lord. And here he prayed for that to happen. And the angel of the Lord came back again. But Manoah wasn't there. It was still the angel of the Lord talking to her, to who would be Samson's mother. And she said, oh, just wait. And and she ran and she told her husband, "He's, he's here again. He's here again. And Manoah went and spoke with the angel of the Lord. And they both accepted the the vow and the restrictions that God was going to be blessing them with this son, Samson. And basically, he was... uh, putting the the rights of a Nazarite vow onto Samson. And so we see these two circumstances surrounding um, vows that these two particular women had made with God, with the Lord, and their husbands knew about it. When they did learn about it, they didn't say, oh, no, we're not going to be doing this. They agreed with them. So that vow between um, Hannah and God stood. And the, the vow between um, Sam, uh, Samson's mother stood because both of those husbands affirmed it as well. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And the, the, another thing that's fascinating is uh, Samson's mother's mentioned, but uh, the, the, or Samson's mother's not, her name is not mentioned. But her father, his father is mentioned, Manoah. And it's fascinating because God deals with this. And in that culture, they didn't mention women's name. And so then you get to Samuel and Hannah's mentioned out loud. He was the 13th judge, by the way. And I just think it's so special too, that the angel of the Lord, who's precarnate Jesus, um, came to visit her twice. Really is fascinating. I I just think that's, it's very special. I was very excited about the 24-7 stream that we put on called Bible Discovery TV on our website, Bible Discovery TV. You can watch it there, and it is a time when we present all the programs that we produce here. It's very, very exciting. And you can get to us anytime you want on the internet, Bible Discovery TV. Today we pray, Lord, I, I need help to change the way I think. 
Help me, Father, to move my mind in your direction. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.